They want you to compulsively check your phone. They want you to endlessly compare yourself to others via social media. They want you to buy without restraint. They want you to be constantly distracted and engaged. You're trying to make your behavior align with your higher priorities, right? Yeah. Which are about loving other people well, glorifying God through your actions, living a life that is holy and healthy, and recognizing that if tech is, you know, unfettered in your life and you just kind of use it whenever you feel like it, they're so addictive and so engaging that it will crowd out a lot of the other good things that you want to do with your life. Welcome to the podcast called Your Future Self Will Thank You with Drew Dick and Jeremy Slager. With secrets to self-control from the Bible and brain science, this podcast will help you make change that lasts. Your Future Self Will Thank You podcast, self-control and habit building from a distinctly Christian perspective. Welcome to episode number six of Your Future Self Will Thank You podcast with myself, Jeremy Slager, and with my co-host, Drew Dick. Good to be back, man. Episode six. I can't believe it. We're cruising through these. We are cruising right along. Yeah, we've been covering a lot of ground with self-control and talking about keystone habits and spiritual disciplines. And we're just getting into the part that I am most excited to hear your expertise on, and that is technology, what it does. And most importantly, how we can protect ourselves from its dangers and really lean into the things that it can help uh, benefit our lives. Huge part of this issue. Yep. So the last episode, we painted a rather bleak picture of how the rise of smartphones is impacting our brains and our self-control and how there's a nefarious element to the social media industry and what it's doing to us. Um, and And I saw this week... A quote from chapter eight, where you were quoting a guy named Neil Postman. And in the very beginning of the chapter, he wrote, we are a people on the verge of amusing ourselves to death. And that quote caught my attention because that's how it feels right now. And so I looked it up and Neil Postman wrote that quote in 1985. (laughs) It was about having televisions in our living room. And how, and if you think back, 1985, I did some research on this. There were three main broadcasting networks, CBS, NBC, ABC. Right. Fox hadn't even been started yet. The The brand new shows in 1985 were MacGyver and A-Team. Ooh, good stuff, man. I'm old enough to remember those. Favorites. I, I watched those coming home from school every single day. Wow. John Carson was still on the air. Yep. Shows that that we would look back on now and say, those are clean, those are wholesome, maybe even at times with MacGyver, it's uplifting. <laughs> it was for me. Yeah. And and so it's it's startling in a sense that Neil Postman would look at that and say, We're amusing ourselves to death. And you know what I'd say to that? Neil, yeah. Neil, you ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> That's right. What do you think um, Neil would say if he looked at our day today? So he he passed away in 2003. So he never saw the iPhone. Right. He never saw Netflix. He never saw Facebook. What do you think if Neil had lived another 20 years? What do you think he would say about our generation today? 
well, I think he would realize that a lot of things that he was um, seen even in the 1980s have come to pass. And so in many ways, I think his book, and it's interesting because his book um, continues to sell well, it's quoted all the time. I see it everywhere. I've got a copy right behind me on my shelf. Um, and yeah. I think part of the the reason uh, for its enduring popularity is because he was so uh, prescient when it came to this point of seeing what um, digital communication and media uh, can do to us uh, and some of the ill effects. But like you said, he, he didn't even live long enough to see the birth of the smartphone and um, yeah. a lot of the and social media and all these these platforms and technologies that have really kind of taken what he saw and put it on steroids, right? To the yeah. point where it's just very invasive, very distracting, constantly bombarded with these new media. Yeah, and and if I if I remember correctly, going through his book, he was kind of taking aim at two two books that were written in the 20th century that presented different views of a dystopian future. So he wrote the book in 1985, and it was kind of a response to all the people that had breathed a collective sigh of relief getting past 1984. <laughs> right, because the book of that title, yeah. That's right, where George Orwell was saying, hey, in the future, the government is going to be so constrictive. They're going to control your lives. They're going to force forcibly re-educate you to being believing that right is wrong and wrong is right, and that's the picture of the future. And, and certainly there are places in the world today where it seems like that 1984 vision has come to pass. Hmm. Um, but I think what, what Neil Postman was saying is there's another book called A Brave New World by Aldous Huxley. He was saying that's the dystopian future that we need to be afraid of. And what, what Aldous Huxley was saying was that there would be a, a world where we wouldn't need external controls because they would be able to control us through our pleasure and uh. through our attention and our entertainment. He, One of the quotes from Neil Postman is, what Orwell feared were those who would ban books. What Huxley feared was that there would be no reason to ban a book for there would be no one who wanted to read one. Ouch. That there would be so much information that people would stop caring about right and wrong, true and false. They would just want pleasure. Hmm. Now, do you see a little bit of a brave new world in in America in the 21st century, or do you see it more like 1984 coming to pass? Yeah, I think, well, you're right. I mean, you know, Orwell uh, did foresee many of the dystopian uh, tyrannical regimes that we saw in the 20th century, you know, certainly under communism. And even today, you know, like um, it, it, what's going on in China, the extreme monitoring and the sort of top-down control of a people through brutal enforcement and and um, spying and that kind of stuff. So they, they, they were both um, uh, almost prophetic in that sense. But I think for us, at least in the West, Huxley's vision of a people who they don't need to be controlled by a top-down government because they are um, they are just living for pleasure, right? And almost um, uh, are, are under the tyranny of self and hedonistic uh, pursuits. I'd say that's the bigger danger for us um, in the West. And a lot of that is facilitated through the new media that, that we have in our lives. 
Yeah, another quote from Neil Postman, he writes that Orwell feared that what we fear will ruin us. Huxley feared that what we desire will ruin us. Mm, right. and, I, and I love that just because that's there's some deep scriptural principles in that as well, that our hearts, what we desire, what we want is actually what can lead us astray. Mm-hmm. Now, how do you think like our, our current culture, what what kind of response would our current culture have to a Christian saying that our desire will ruin us? Right. And I, well, I think sometimes, and, and I've mentioned this before uh, in, these, in these podcasts, but um, that a lot of people, when you talk about curbing desires, people, the walls kind of go up. It's like, no, 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 no. You're supposed to express yourself. You're supposed to follow your heart. Right. Yeah. So that kind of language is very foreign to us. But I think that the fact that it is offensive to people to say, you know what, you need to put a cap on your desires. You need to resist some impulses. The reason that's offensive is because we've deified desire. Right. Yeah. So you need like it, it, that's like a sacred cow in our culture. If if I really desire something, shouldn't I fulfill that desire? Shouldn't I chase that pleasure if it's really going to make me happy? Um, and so, yeah, but I think, you know, from a Christian perspective, we have to challenge that. We can't we can't bow to that 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 sort of um, enshrinement of desire in our culture. And we have to make sure that the desires that we're cultivating are holy, healthy desires. And of course, this comes back to self-control. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, because inevitably we're going to have um, inclinations of our heart that are wrong, that are destructive, and exercising self-control means by the power of God and through a little bit of wisdom and obeying his word, we we sublimate um, our desires to his will. So that's, and and it's getting more difficult than ever, because like I said before, it's, it's, a really unique challenge of our time. You know, yeah. people in, forget 1985, or, you know, even before that, they, they almost had no access to media, right? Yeah. I mean, reading a newspaper or something. So we live in a very different uh, world uh, where we're inundated with with um, all these addictive technological devices and platforms and online stuff. And it really is a new challenge and one that we need to take very seriously. Yeah, so it seems like Neil Postman in his kind of view of the world was that he was saying we are far too easily satisfied, like C.S. Lewis would say. Right. That, that we're, our attention can be pulled into these trivial, meaningless things that he would call amusements and our entertainment. And yet we as human beings were created for something that was so much more and so much deeper. Mm-hmm. So what does the what does the scripture say about what we should be focusing our time and attention on instead of going for for that quick hit entertainment amusement factor? Yeah, I think there are some kind of broad scriptural principles when it comes to this, right? I think of passages like Philippians 4, whatever is true, whatever is lovely, think on these things. Whereas if you're just kind of a slave to whatever is online or on TV, you're get, you're letting the agenda of your mind get hijacked, right? Yeah. Or another scripture verse that says, uh, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, you know, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So you really do have to be intentional and aware of how your imagination and your mind is being shaped and not let letting a foreign agenda do that on your behalf. You know, it's interesting. When I, recently, I've been reading um, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe to my kids. Yeah. And they're really young. And um, it's hilarious. It was a little disconcerting at first because uh, their favorite character early on was the White Witch. 
Uh oh. And I'm like, uh oh, <laughs> my, my parenting has gone horribly sideways. Uh, <laughs> they came around though. They were all all about Aslan by the end. Um, but of course, as you as I'm sure you know, Edmund, um, who who betrays his his um, his siblings, um, you know, the White Witch gives him Turkish delight. Yeah. And um, of course, he just craves this stuff. It's this kind of magical treat that he eats in the book. Um, and it's interesting because when I was reading that, I kind of thought about what's my Turkish delight? What is it that sort of isn't the the end? Because his ultimate sin was really betraying his, you know, um, yeah. uh, betraying his brothers and sisters and being, uh, you know, treasonous. Um, and yet that was kind of the gateway drug, so to speak, right? It was yeah. Turkish delight. And I think it's worth thinking about your own life. What is that, you know, that kind of in-between uh, thing that leads you into sin, whether it's just being perpetually distracted um, or actually if, if there's something that's a conduit to other sins like materialism, yeah. greed, um, lust, whatever it is. And I think for a lot of people today, you know, new tech, new media, social media can be our Turkish delight if we're not careful. I don't know yeah. if that's too much of a stretch, but it got me thinking no, about I it. I think you're definitely onto something there, and it's it's really important to recognize, kind of in the language we've been talking about, of what are the things that are going to wear down our self-control, and what's going to lead us to greater self-control, and also looking at what are the things that you can kind of see in idolatry forming, of what, what things in your life would you be willing to sacrifice good things for, mm. and having that kind of draw out the idolatry of the heart right yeah it's often indicative right and even things as simple as when you can't leave your phone and go somewhere for a minute right yeah <laughs> and i feel that man i'm preaching to myself here uh yeah. i feel this kind of mini panic set in when i'm when i go even to the grocery store and i'm like oh i forgot my phone right i mean uh, -huh. uh and, and so maybe that's a signal that you're a little too attached to it um so yeah i think the point here you know and i don't want to belabor this but we we've talked about how addictive this in the last episode we talked about talked about some of the neurological processes that are underlying some of these addictions yeah. um, and and the lengths that that um, companies will go to that create smartphones and, and online platforms to engage your time and attention. And I think the point is there are people out there that have a plan for your life, right? We used yeah. to say God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Um, the the tech geniuses behind these massive corporations, they don't love you, but they have a plan for your life. They want you. <laughs> That's real. Yeah. They have a real plan. They want you to compulsively check your phone. They yeah. want you to endlessly compare yourself to others via social media. They yeah. want you to buy without restraint. They want you to be constantly distracted and engaged, right? And so, hey, that's fine. I'm not blaming them. They're trying to make money. Okay, that's that's their thing. And we're not going to probably change that. What we can change, though, we need to go into it with a plan. Because if you don't have a plan, you will default to theirs, their plan for your life. Right. I hope that's not too dram dramatic. But so you have to be intentional about this. How am I going to use technology? How are my kids going to use technology um, and, and act accordingly? It sounds like it's kind of like that classic illustration of fishes and rivers. Is fishes actually a plural or is it fish? You're the, <laughs> I you're the editor fish. here. No, fish, no, I think okay. it's fish. Yeah, fish yeah. and river. Um, <laughs> that the if you don't fight, you're just going to go downstream. And right. in order to go counterculture, you have to make an effort for it. And so to be countercultural in a world that is drifting through with tech, what kind of strategies do you have to have to be able to – to set those boundaries, to be in control of your tech instead of letting your tech control you. 
Yeah, a great question. And ironically, or maybe appropriately, some of the responses are actually to use tech against tech, if that makes sense. So yeah. I've read a lot of great suggestions, and some of these are just small, but I think they make a big difference. You know, I've, I've seen people that study you know, how phones affect us um, suggest that you grayscale your phone. This what what that means is you go into your settings and you take the color out of your phone. Sounds huh. like a weird thing to do that wouldn't make a difference, but it actually makes your phone less engaging. They study these things very carefully. What colors in the icons of your apps are going to engage you the most and get you to click? Yeah. Whereas when you grayscale your phone, it's a little more boring and less engaging. And actually, they've shown that you use it a little less. That's yeah. one thing. Another thing is to avoid, um, this is more about social media, but social media apps that are endless scroll options, right? Where it never stops. You never reach the bottom. Whereas even with email, I mean, you get to the bottom of your inbox, right? Well, some people do. I don't. But anyway, that's another story. <laughs> um, but it's limited. It's finite. Whereas with a lot of these things, you can just scroll endlessly, right? And it's just yep. a refresh, refresh, refresh. There's always new content to engage you. So you want to be careful about either not using those or using them in a way that's that's wise. Um, and then I think this is, a, this is a big one for me. This is something I did, and it's a no-brainer. Shut off notifications on your phone, okay? Yeah. Right. I mean, do you need to be notified every time CNN says there's a new political story? Right. Um, or every time someone mentions you on social media or an email, ding, ding, ding. Right. It's just continually distracting you. Yeah. Um, another thing, and this is huge, employ what researchers call a bright lines strategy with technology. Yeah, this is something I was really hoping you were going to dive into. Because it, it sounds really interesting and helpful. Right. Yeah. And it's in, and I should say too, I mean, this might smack of legalism. I think it's just wisdom uh, because, uh, so let me define what a bright line strategy is. Bright line strategy is just um, referring to these hard and fast rules that you place in your life to avoid certain behaviors. Okay. So, and it, it's not just confined to technology. For instance, if you are, you know, if you, if your weakness is ice cream, don't have ice cream in your house. Okay. That's yep. just like kind of a bright line strategy. Okay. I'm not going to have it in the house. Maybe I can eat it when I go to the restaurant or to a friend's house. I'm not going to have it in the freezer calling, beckoning to me constantly. <laughs> um, and yeah, I wish I could say that's a hypothetical example, but that's actually for my life. Um, so <laughs> when it comes to tech and, and, and I'm not going to say, you know, prescribe what those bright line strategies sh should be, but you know, an example would be, I will not look at my phone past 7 PM say, yeah. right? And what that does, it's so important. We talked about willpower in an earlier episode, how it's this finite resource yeah. that you need to really use wisely. It's this precious commodity. And when you make decisions, um, it actually drains your willpower. So the problem is if you just kind of have this vague aspiration to, to look at your phone less frequently, every time you have to go, okay, am I going to look at my phone or not? It's draining your willpower. Whereas if you have this bright line strategy and you're saying 7 PM after that, I don't look at it. It actually preserves your willpower because even if you're tempted, you just go, oh, no, I don't do that. I've got yeah. this this bright line in my life. Um, one that I have um, in our family is a no screen Sunday. Um, I think I've mentioned that before, but it's just this. Yeah. Yeah. This kind of and, and I should say, too, we frequently violate it. But when we actually do it, it's amazing because the kids aren't watching cartoons. I'm not on my phone. And it just makes your life so much better. And the important thing is that just to carve out some space in your life where technology isn't, you know, reaching in, distracting, buying for your attention, wedging in between you and other people. Um, it's it's crucial, I think, 
to do that. Yeah, it, it seems like that in in our brain, we have kind of like two categories that we can be in. We can be the master or the slave. Mm-hmm. And so it seems like what you're saying is that if you put rules and restrictions on technology, that you are almost like showing your brain that you're in control. Whereas if you right. kind of have it just wide open, you're leaving space for the world around you to control you. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's right. And I think it kind of goes back to what I was saying about if you don't have a plan going in, you'll just default to, to you know, mindlessly using this stuff. And it's usually not healthy when you do that. And ultimately, I mean, the bigger picture of this is not just be like, oh, I'm so awesome. I'm going to use my phone better than someone else. And I don't want to be distracted. It's really because you're trying to make your behavior align with your higher priorities, right? Yeah. Exactly. And, which are about loving other people well glorifying God through your actions, living a life that is holy and healthy and recognizing that if tech is, you know, unfettered in your life and you just kind of use it whenever you feel like it, they're so addictive and so engaging that it will crowd out a lot of the other good things that you want to do with your life. Well, that's a, a wonderful place to to wrap up this episode and just really encourage anybody that's list, listening to to think through tech in your life and to set up that bright line strategy to just set some kind of boundary that you're going to stick to, not out of legalism, but just out of awareness that you need to set a boundary for the things that in your life that are trying to shape you. So Absolutely. One, one last thing. Yes. If you, there is another option with tech. You can get rid of it or you can get a dumb phone. Ah, uh, yes. Right? Dumb yeah, phone, yeah. that's just referring to like an old phone that doesn't have an s- interactive screen, right? That just makes calls. That That's a yeah. possibility, especially if you struggle with porn, with ordering things on your phone, spending too much money. You know, if you have a particular vice that is that is really heightened through a smartphone, you don't need a smartphone necessarily, right? You, sure. can, you can get a dumb phone. That's always an option. I like to remind people of. That's great. Um, So next episode, we're going to be diving a little bit deeper into learning how addictions are formed and learning what learning more about self-control from people who have lost it. So trying to understand what can we learn about our brain, about the the way that self-control is formed by people who are addicted, who have lost that ability to and how they've how they've recovered too. kind of looking at some of the recovery programs out there. I think we can learn a lot from that. It's great. Well, thanks everybody for listening and we will hear from you next time. Awesome. You have been listening to the Future Self Podcast. If you enjoyed what you just heard, subscribe and leave a review wherever you find your podcasts. Your Future Self Podcast, self-control and habit building from a distinctly Christian perspective. We'll see you next time.